On this week's Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, the Wisconsin Badgers are in New York City for the Sweet 16 as they take on the Florida Gators on Friday night. We break down that matchup and see if they could get past either Baylor or South Carolina to reach the Final Four in Phoenix, which would be their third in four years. Crazy. Plus, we talk some NFL free agency with former UW-Madison graduate, current ESPN Wisconsin personality, all-around good guy, Jason Wilde, coming up next on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys check out your Wisconsin Badgers news notes analysis, especially all the hot takes, all the roundtable discussions, and especially our New York guide uh, heading out uh, Badgers tomorrow night, late game, nearly 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. The Wisconsin Badgers will take on the Florida Gators, not in the Outback Bowl or the Holiday One or the Capital One Bowl or whatever they call the Buffalo Wild Wings, Citrus Bowl, whatever they call it these days, not in football, but rather in basketball. And a big Sweet 16 matchup. And Scotty, you know, going back to this, you know, you and I talked about it, it's going to be rough with uh, Villanova. They got this team showed that it could play with the, the big players. It's first, I guess you could say, its first signature win of the season. Uh, against Villanova, uh, and and they pulled out at the right time, especially moving on to Sweet 16. Your initial thoughts about not just the Badgers win, uh, before we get to Jason Wildey from ESPN Wisconsin in just a few minutes, but uh, initial thoughts about Wisconsin's weekend, obvious success, mm-hmm. but also the Sweet 16 or the NCAA tournament as a whole. Well, I mean, first couple of days of the tournament were a little bit boring. Uh, mostly higher seeds winning on Thursday and Friday. And then the weekend we started to see a little bit more of what we're used to, which are some Cinderella's and 11 seed winning, some few other things. It was a big win for the Badgers. Again, no, I, I still stand by this. This team, I always said, was capable of things like this. They're also the same team that lost to Ohio State. They're also the same team that lost at home to Northwestern. So on one hand, you're optimistic because the bracket broke for them. Everybody left in that region are beatable. Florida's beatable. Baylor's beatable. Uh, South Carolina's beatable. But the Badgers could lose to either of those teams, too, depending on how they shoot or how poorly they shoot on any given night. But it was a nice win, and it did show that what we knew all along is that they were underseeded, and they proved that. The other takeaway I have from this tournament is people are saying, well, see, I guess everybody underestimated the Big Ten. No, that's not true. The Big Ten, to me, was still down. A month ago, I thought Purdue and Wisconsin were the only legitimate Sweet 16 teams. Then Michigan got hot. So the three teams that really look like Sweet 16 teams are the three that are there. Northwestern got a win in the first round that they had no business winning. Um, otherwise, the rest of the Big Ten schools did exactly what we thought they were going to do. And then it even proved out in the NIT as neither one of those schools advanced to the Final Four of the NIT. It was a down year for the Big Ten. That said, if the Badgers play well this weekend, they could be a legitimate Final Four team. 
Now, before we dig in and talk with Jason Wildey, let's talk, let's break down real quick just the recap of, and even look at, at the Florida-Wisconsin matchup coming up tomorrow night. Let's just recap Wisconsin's 65-62 win over Villanova. Obviously a huge win. Let's talk about Nigel Hayes and his big game, right? 19 points, 8 rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. He had 14 of those points in the second half, especially, and he carried this team uh, during a rough stretch where both Bronson Koenig and Ethan Happ had foul trouble. And Hayes came on big. The senior leadership stepped up. 19 points, 8 rebounds, including the game-deciding bucket, which was the game-winner, and a thing of beauty right there for the Ohio native. And against Virginia Tech, you know, right on Thursday, 16 points, 10 rebounds, stepping up huge when it counts in March. This is March. And so Hayes led there. I mean, and then you're talking about the group effort, right? Yeah, Koenig and Hap were both in foul trouble. Uh, Hap both games, and that, especially in that first half of both. But let's look at, you know, Koenig first. 7 of 11, uh, 3 of 6 from three-point range. He's getting hot, right? And that's what you want to see out of your senior guard. And the way he stepped up huge against Villanova there, uh, 17 there. He had 28 against Virginia Tech before that. So for, for the first two games in the first round, two rounds, 16 of 32, 11 of 23 from behind a three-point arc. That is big for him. That left calf injury that really hampered him, that really during Wisconsin's shooting struggles towards the end of the regular season, it looks like they're stepping up there. Ethan Happ, 10 points and 12 points respectively, uh, you know, in Villanova and Virginia Tech. Uh, he had some foul trouble against Florida come up and we'll talk about this going uh, in just a few minutes he needs to stay out of foul trouble especially with how much there's a potential there that he could really as the kids call it eat down low on uh, on, on you know Friday so uh, that may be a little bit of phrasing on my end I apologize for that but uh, let's talk about an unsung hero right uh, game ball here has to go to Vito Brown the way he hit those three pointers against Villanova uh, the the pass, the sweet pass that Ethan Happ in that first half, uh, you know, showcasing some of the skills there, but also down the stretch, just uh, having that ability to to strip the ball and then get called for the foul. He hit one of two. You would would have liked him to hit two uh, free throws right there at the end, but came through had a monster game uh, again. Another senior like Koenig, like Brown, uh, like not uh, like Koenig, like Hayes. Steps up huge, and that's what you want to see out of this team. And they are peaking at the right time when it comes to this, now heading to New York City to Madison Square Garden. Now let's look at some of the keys of the game versus the Gators, right? Uh, honestly, one of the big things, the inside game, like I mentioned before, Happ and Hayes have to dominate inside. Uh, you know, with, uh, Florida is without their their lead, you know, their big man, their 6'11 uh, center, uh, John Ebunu, uh, uh, hopefully I pronounced that right, 7.8 points per game, 6.6 .6 rebounds before he tore his ACL in February. The depth, uh, you've, you've seen some of the reports on Twitter from various uh, people that are down there from, from media that are in New York City. We are not in there. Uh, I'm not down there right now, obviously, but talking about that they can't necessarily uh, foul a lot with Hap and Hayes uh, due to depth possibility, depth trouble for the Gators. If that's the case, there is no reason why they shouldn't have to go inside and just try to pick apart that interior defense. And, and Hayes and Hap have to have huge games, right? That that seems like a standard. It seems like a given. Uh, honestly, and the second thing, and this is for the team 
overall. This team has been volatile where it's been, you don't know if they're going to shoot 30% and lose by 15 or maybe they'll lose by 10, but the score doesn't indicate how much they were blown out. Or they could, like you've seen the past two weeks, play really well, play with the best of the best, knock off the number one overall seed Villanova Wildcats uh, and advance to the Sweet 16. So they can't go cold. That's where the main, main thing, the shooting there. Koenig, uh, you know, he may have had a bad performance last time at Madison Square Garden earlier this year against Rutgers, uh, but, you know, he's shooting 50% from the field in the NCAA tournament right now. Seems like he's feeling it. We'll see what happens Friday night. Of course, and just to give you guys a note, too, it's on TBS, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. Eight, I think it's at 8.59 tip tentatively. And so it's a late game, 10 o'clock at night in New York. It's going to be crazy. Our John uh, Beetlescheiss will be down there covering it for Bucky's fifth quarter. So that'll be fun seeing John down there, and we'll get a lot more reactions uh, and, and a game recap from him after the game there. Uh, on top of that, the other key contributors, like a show Walter, a, uh, you know, Vito Brown, uh, they, when they're hitting their perimeter shots. And, and one big thing, Florida is 30.4%. Uh, that's their defense for three-point range, uh, for three points against opponents. So that's 10th in the nation, their defense. Their three-point defense is 10th in the nation. and But you're going to need to have good, solid passes to get guys open. And if Hap and Hayes can really do damage on the inside, get them in foul trouble, get them uh, just get easy buckets, they'll have to respect the inside game, and that's when you'll have to see guys like Koenig hit those shots. Brown, Showalter, who's been known to make some big shots, really they have to take advantage of that and they have to have good passes on that end then looking at the three you know basically have to control florida three-point game right they're shooting 36.4 percent from the field the badgers are actually giving up close to 38 percent uh three-point percentage right there that's 307th in the nation and so you have guys um like Leon, uh, 39.8%. You have Devin Robinson, 39.4%. Uh, Kevon Allen, 37.7%. And uh, among others, you know, high 30s for shooting from downtown, from behind the three-point arc. They are going to have to figure out uh, just to play better perimeter defense to not allow Florida uh, to really explode with that perimeter shooting. Now, if you guys saw the Bucky's fifth quarter's uh, Q&A when it came to uh, talking to Alligator Alley, our, our Alligator, yeah, Alligator Alley, our SB Nation cousins who cover Florida basketball. You know, Andy Hutchins mentioned just sometimes Florida lives and dies by the three where they may be on fire and just go NBA jam style, boom shakalaka on people, or, or they go ice cold. So this is a game where you know, it, this it could be up and down, uh, and Wisconsin's going to have to play good defense. You're going to have to see guys like that uh, to they have to really perform well to get the W and move on to the Elite Eight against either Baylor or South Carolina. We'll probably do a podcast uh, Saturday morning or Saturday night regarding if the Badgers win. And just letting you guys know, if the Badgers win, we'll try to do a podcast on Saturday, uh, talk about the Elite Eight matchup. And when it comes to just you know controlling Florida's three-point game, you know, like I said, they have to play good perimeter defense. And and here, let me just give you guys some stats real quick, right? So just team-wise, scoring defense. Wisconsin is 11th in the nation, giving up only 61.8 points per contest. Florida is only giving up 65.7. That's 37th in the nation. That's pretty pretty solid on that end. Uh, field goal percentage defense. Florida. Is 26. They only allow 40.5% of the shots to go in. Wisconsin only 41.1. That's 40th. 
Uh, on top of that, uh, three-point percentage overall. Wisconsin's 136, 35.8%, 36.4 for the Gators. Pretty even, but like I said, the big determining point, which could be a big focal point, Wisconsin gives up almost 38%, 37.7% to be precise of the three-point shots that they uh, that their defend or their opponents take. Uh, they make. Then you look at Florida, 30.4%. That's 10th in the nation. So it should be interesting to see how Koenig, Showalter, Brown, uh, Pritt, uh, maybe maybe Brevin Pritzel uh, get involved. Demetric Trice obviously needs to have a big game. Uh, and you'll see, by the way, notes from Jeff Patrikas of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. You also have Ben Wargle from BadgerNation.com, friend of the show, uh, also had uh, a feature on Trice and, and rebounding from a, a poor game, which is another thing. Bench play needs to be huge with guys for Wisconsin like Trice and Pritzel and Ilkanen if he's able if he needs to be put in there uh, to really step up in the in this game uh, to ensure especially if there's some foul trouble on on Hap to come in and and do their job. Now just some individual points too. Just uh, yeah, you know for the Gators. Just some quick stats on this end. Kavon Allen, 13.4 points per game, 2.5 rebounds. Uh, you have a guy like Devin Robinson, 11.4 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game. You have uh, Casey Hill, 9.7 points per game, 4.5 assists. So that, that's going to be really interesting to see how they can stop the Gators on that note. Uh, going with predictions, right? Let's 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 talk some predictions. Let's Let's talk uh, what the Badgers can do. I mean, I think the Badgers win by five, five or seven points. I think they come down. They're going to have to go, and they're going to have to, like I said, get the inside game. I think this is a potential for Happ and Hayes that you have at least 15 apiece, if not more. Uh, This could be a – and that's – this team seems like they're ready to roll on this end. Uh, But you have – they have to contain the – you know Casey Hill, the Chris uh, Chiosa, those players uh, on the you know perimeter, and if they can do that, this team they have a chance to win. I think big, but you know it's NCAA tournament. Teams are going to play hard. I think Wisconsin though, with their experience, how many games they've played in the Sweet 16, how many games they've um, played, you know NCAA tournament in the past four years, guys like Hayes and Koenig and Vito Brown, uh, Zach Showalter. That senior presence, I think, is going to serve them well, and so I'm going to take Badgers. I'll say 70 to 63, and they'll move on to the Elite Eight to either face Baylor or South Carolina. Uh, and like I said, if they do win, we'll have our predictions going forward. We're actually, after we speak with Jason Moody in just a couple minutes, I will make my prediction, and so will Scotty. Scotty will come back to the program, and what he'll we'll give our predictions for our revised Final Four. So without further ado, like I said, my prediction for tomorrow night's game, Badger 70, Florida 63. I think Hayes and Hap go for at least 30 to 35 points combined. Then again, we'll see what happens. We'll see if the Badgers can control Florida's shooting. But let's go right now, take a break, come back. Good guy all around, Jason Wildey. UW-Madison grad, a great writer. You'll see his work in Madison for the Wisconsin State Journal, but also he's what he's known for, the ESPN Wisconsin personality, Wildy and Tosh. Fun guy to talk to. Had a lot of fun talking with him on ESPN Wisconsin, on Wildy and Tosh for Walk On This Way. 
Uh, we'll talk with Jason Willie in just a second. Take a quick break, guys. This is the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Welcome back to the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And, you know, we ta- we're talking some Sweet 16, some, some Wisconsin Badgers, but obviously in Wisconsin, as we cover all Wisconsin sports, NFL free agency has been a huge storyline, uh, especially for the Green Bay Packers for what they've done and what they haven't done. And uh, to introduce our next guest, Scotty, would you want to do the honors, brother? Uh, it, it's very simple. I mean, you can hear him on ESPN Wisconsin, the very best in the business, Jason Wilby, joining us. Jason, great to talk to you again. You guys, you know I've been a big fan of your work for a while, so I, I've, my question is simply, what took you guys so long to ask me to come on? <laughs> that is, I, That's a great question, Jake. Yeah, I, oh gosh, yeah. I, I was hoping, I was hoping for you. Scotty, you had the connections, brother. Uh, yeah, no, but Jason, man, it's it's great having you on finally. And it's, you know, we hear you on Willie and Tosh. I, I had a chance to talk with you, uh, you know, back when uh, I appreciate you and Mark allowing Joel and I talking, uh, walk on this way back in late October. And, uh, you know, before we talk some Packers, you know, you went to UW Madison, and and before we, you know we get into free agency talk, what were just some of the things that you know, like you see this Wisconsin basketball team and the success it's had uh, for almost close to now two decades, it's reaching. Uh, just from your experiences as being a student journalist to now, like just is it crazy to see just how the Badgers have you know the, the basketball and the men's program has really taken off? It, yeah, it really is. Um, you know, and and. Again, I'm just giving you guys a hard time. Um, Scotty was at my wedding. I've known him for so long. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, Bucky you know, was there funny. too. I know exactly, and he was almost late, and the bride almost killed him. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> um, so I, uh, so I'll tell you what. So I, I was a student from '90 to '94. I started writing for the Badger Herald in '91, and I had. University of Wisconsin license plates on my hand-me-down 1984 GMC Jimmy that I drove around campus, uh, and it had Final Four as the license plate. And, you know, I'd grown up watching Bill Cofield's teams and Steve Yoder's teams, and I covered the last couple of Steve Yoder's teams, and I was there for when Stu Jackson came and and really changed the culture to a certain degree, like actually brought up the possibility that Wisconsin basketball could win on occasion uh, and have some success. And obviously they went to the tournament in 94 uh, with Tracy Webster and, and, and Michael Finley and, and that whole crew. Um, but I, I have to be honest, until, until they went to the Final Four in 2000, Obviously, I thought that was never going to happen. Like, you know, I'm guessing it's been interesting to follow the the Northwestern storyline. And my connection to the University of Oregon is in part entrenched in the fact that when I was at the State Journal, I went and covered one of the pods that was going to be sending a team to Madison for a regional. And I ended up drawing the Sacramento pod, and I ended up covering Oregon coming out of there. And they had... Uh, the two Lukes and Freddie Jones coming out of there. And they had a very similar history to Wisconsin and basketball too. And so there was, a, I had a kind of a connection 
instantly with that story. And so my point is, is that Wisconsin basketball was so bad slash mediocre for so long that I have become get off my lawn guy to anybody who is young enough to think that 19 consecutive NCAA tournaments and three final fours and a berth in the national championship game and, and having the lead in the national championship game against Duke, um, like that's normal for so many people now of, of a certain age. And I'm like, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what it was like for Willie Sims to be dancing on the scorer's table about an NIT game. I mean, it, it's, it's been really neat to see. And I, I obviously have, have uh, built a, a close relationship with Coach Bennett. Um, not as close as if I would have played with him because he probably would have yelled at me so much that I don't know how close <laughs> I'd have been with him. But because um, I can't guard a folding chair, and that would not have been okay with him. But, you know, he what he did to build the foundation for the incredible program that it became under Coach Ryan and, and now continues to be under, as uh, as I affectionately call him on Wilde and Tausch, Gardo, um, it really is amazing, and, and it's a lot like Badger football and, and, quite frankly, covering the Packers and having been a kid in the 70s and 80s and remembering them being bad. It's just it's remarkable to see what Donna Shalala, by hiring Pat Richter, and Pat Richter by hiring Barry Alvarez to get them out of the red ink they were in as an athletic department, and then to see these guys that have taken over these programs and and really had success it, as an alum, as someone who grew up with a little stuffed Bucky Badger, uh, and as somebody who still remembers his time in Madison very fondly, it's really been neat to see. You know, Jason, you drew a great parallel. You talk about fans who just expect success because they don't remember the struggles that people our age had when the Badgers were bad. Same with the Packers, and it kind of leads me into our Packer talk because the one thing that's been on my mind as I've tried to be the staunch defender of Ted Thompson, although there are still some things he does that bothers me, uh, what people don't realize is when they talk about Ted Thompson, I've never seen a general manager that has had as much success as him be as polarizing. I mean, I know it's okay to hate your general manager if you're the Bears or you're the Jacksonville Jaguars or you're the Cleveland Browns. But I've never yeah. seen a, a general manager this successful that has to put up with as much grief from his own fan base. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, in 2007, before the before his third season in Green Bay, um, I did a story for the State Journal. It was our cover story for our annual preview magazine, and I talked to his dad and his brother and his sister and. Um, and a couple of his former teammates. And, you know, it, even back then, his, I'll never forget his dad telling me, you know, sometimes I think Ted should sign some of these high-priced free agents, but he says they're a waste of money, and they don't usually perform to the level that you pay them. That's a really bad uh, Jimmy Thompson, <laughs> by the way. Um, but, but, but he, you know, even, even he admitted that, you know, in 2007. And... The fact that I was even writing a story about how many people disliked him, and obviously Favre had a lot of influence on that, of complaining about not getting Randy Moss. And, and you know, the thing about it is more often than not, 
Ted Thompson has been proven to be right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he didn't he didn't go trade for Randy Moss at the price that the Raiders wanted. Um, the great untold story that I mean, maybe not untold, but not as often told, is that Reggie McKenzie had a deal with the Raiders in place to get Randy Moss for a fifth round draft pick, and that they ran into they wanted a two year deal with Moss, and Moss wanted a one year deal, and while they were haggling over that. The Patriots swooped in, gave up a fourth-round pick, were willing to sign him for only one year, and they ended up with Randy Moss. Uh, the same with the story about uh, having Tony Gonzalez and John Schneider being the lieutenant in charge of that trade and having a deal with Carl Peterson for a third-round pick. And then Carl Peterson at the last second saying, no, no, I, I need a second-round pick. And Ted Thompson saying, no, we're not paying that. Um, Ted Thompson is, is very firm in what he believes whether it's a trade or whether it's a contract, what he believes the value is. And he does not go beyond that, um, and he never has. And so, you know, with the Randy Moss thing, for example, instead Ted Thompson drafts a kid forever for whatever he became after his time in Green Bay, but drafts a kid in the second round in the 2006 draft out of Western Michigan that most draft non-experts had never heard of. And Greg Jennings turns out to be a hell of a football player for this team. And Brett Favre didn't really want young rookie wide receivers. Well, by 2007, he's got two guys that are a first-year guy and a second-year guy, and James Jones and Greg Jennings, who are playing pretty important roles, along with Driver and everybody else, in a team that goes 13-3 and and reaches the NFC Championship game in Mike McCarthy's second year. So, you know, I wrote that story in the summer of 2007. They end up in the NFC Championship game. He has a proven track record that he builds teams that are competitive and make the playoffs. Now, the problem obviously comes in when we're talking about Aaron Rodgers and having a Hall of Fame quarterback again and not having won more Super Bowls. And and I will argue this. I have argued this until I was blue in the face, and I'll keep saying it. This is all because of 2014 and the meltdown in Seattle. People would not Mm -hmm. be saying the things they say about Ted Thompson today if they don't fall apart in the last three minutes in Seattle. If they win this, win that game the way they should have and make the Super Bowl, obviously win it is better, even if they make it and lose the way the Seahawks lost. The fact that they would have even been in another Super Bowl on Aaron Rodgers' watch and on Ted Thompson's tenure and in Mike McCarthy's tenure, those three would be viewed so differently than they are today. Mike McCarthy... People wouldn't be quite as critical of him as a coach. Ted Thompson, people wouldn't be nearly as critical of him as a general manager. And Aaron Rodgers would be viewed, you know, as a guy who got his team to two Super Bowls just like Brett Favre. Maybe he, he's won two, so he's won up on Brett Favre in that way. Um, and that is gonna, I believe that is going to hang around those three guys next until they win another title. And if they never win another title, it'll be around their next the way Fourth and 26 remains around Mike Sherman's legacy and, and even Brett Favre's legacy to a certain degree. You know, Jason, that's a good point. I, I guess when you look at the timeline, it seemed that after that Seattle game is where uh, people who were on the Ted Thompson uh, supporter side kind of flipped a little bit. I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate here because, as I've said at the top, I, I'm a fan of what Ted Thompson's done with this team. However, some people have made the argument his last three or four drafts haven't been as deep, and some of the players that ended up being decent, he wasn't able to re-sign. 
And I know when you lose guys like McKenzie and Dorsey and Schneider in that war room, that's obviously going to hurt, uh, at least in the short term. But what do you think of the team he's got around him as far as helping evaluate talent? And do you think that the last few drafts were things, some, some of those things were just beyond his control? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, what's crazy uh, is that they're a draft and develop operation. And, and, and I've got, um, I've asked uh, ESPN Stats Information, which is an incredible resource to be able to ask these types of questions of, to compare the other 31 teams on this. But remarkably, the, from the 11, 12, and 13 drafts, which I know are not just yesterday, but still, as a draft and develop team, you would expect better than this. The Packers only have five players on their roster from those three drafts. And one of them, in Devon House, left and came back. Um, you're talking about from 11, it's House and Cobb. From 12, it's Nick Perry and Mike Daniels. And from 13 now, it's just David Bakhtiari. And so, again, if that's your philosophical approach to building a team to have that few of your draft picks from those three drafts still on your team, especially when the 13 draft had a bunch of guys who really got paid and were, it's not like they were bad players, but you chose not to pony up to keep some of them. Then that's when you start to wonder, you know, if their approach needs to be augmented by better free agent targeting uh, than they've done. I mean, the fact that they had so many undrafted free agents last year, you know, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody as the fan of the story. Wow, look at it. What a great job they did in undrafted free agency to have this six guys make the team coming out of training camp. Well, yeah, or what a terrible job they did of roster building that there was enough room on their roster for six guys who weren't drafted. And so, you know, they, they – they are fortunate to have Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. He is, as I've said for a long time, even before uh, Colin Cowherd used it recently, he is the ultimate deodorant. I mean, he he covers up the other areas of your team that stink. And they they have some areas that obviously there are some holes. And they've only got, what, eight picks in the draft? Nine picks in the draft? I think only eight. Um, they're going to be. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about trying to fill those, and and whether they've got any more of their. Uh, as I wrote in the State Journal the other day, um, this is Ted's time to try and get some bargains. This is Ted going to Kohl's with a 30% coupon, heading over to the clearance rack, and also having some Kohl's cash from uh, those two tight ends got, and and really have an opportunity to get some bargains like Ricky Jean Francois, etc. We're here with Jason Wilde from ESPN Wisconsin, Wilde and Tosh. You see his work on the Wisconsin State Journal as well here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. And, you know, Jason, you talk about that, you know, about some of these, you know, the signings. I mean, uh, you talked about tight end with Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks. Obviously, Kendricks, the, the Milwaukee native Wisconsin product, uh, All-American there as his, in his time as a Badger. Uh, we're talking about some of the positives with the free agency. Uh Tight ends obviously was something that was addressed, and they they kept Nick Perry. What what do the tight ends mean? I mean, they should be set there. You're not looking maybe at a, I think OJ Howard at Alabama is probably already going to be off the board. 
judging off of what I've seen in some mock drafts, possibly. Uh, but what do you? I mean, what is what do those two tight ends bring to uh, to the Packers? And then also just outside linebacker with with Nick Perry. How is he? I mean, are they? Do you think they still look at a draft like if T.J. Watt? Uh, who had a great combine, showed some decent position work at the uh, pro day last week. You know, do they still look at an outside linebacker in the first few rounds of the NFL draft, even though they re-signed Perry? Yeah, I, I, I'll i take the outside linebacker question first, because I do think that that is still an obvious need. And I say that as someone who really likes J. Rod Elliott. And I think he's, you know, he's kind of my new version of Desmond Bishop, that, he just needs an opportunity. You just got to play him and forget about some of the mistakes he may make and because he can rush the passer, and that is a unique quality to have. And they, they obviously, in my opinion anyway, need to give him more of a chance to do it. And they're going to have to because, they, you know, they, they decide they don't want Julius Peppers anymore and they decide they're not going to make much of a push to keep Dayton Jones. Um, so I think that's still a clear need. And, and there's, there's, look, there's questions about Clay Matthews. Um, his durability and, and how they're going to use him. And I am the biggest Nick Perry supporter that you'll probably come across. But he still has some major – I mean, his his medical file, If you know, I, I don't know, Epic, I suppose, has it all on, uh, on digital uh, in Madison now. But uh, if, you, if you printed it all out, it would be a pretty thick manila folder. And I still would say that there are some reservations to be had about him being able to be durable. And, and, and I think his contract in some ways reflects that. It's a lot more pay-as-you-go than you would expect a five-year, $60 million deal to be. So I don't think there's any question you will see uh, an outside linebacker or two picked. Uh, they certainly need edge rushers. I think they like the potential of Kyler Fackrell, but he didn't do much for them as a third-round pick a year ago as a rookie. So I think they still need to address that. Um, and I, I don't... You know, I, I like T.J. Watt, um, and I know better than to bet against a Watt brother. So um, wherever he ends up getting drafted, you know, I was the crazy guy saying that the Packers should do what, uh, as they were coming off a of Super Bowl, do what Mike Ditka did uh, when he was with the Saints to get Ricky Williams. I thought they should trade their whole draft to get up to take J.J. Watt. And his back problems last year notwithstanding, I might have been right about that. So I, I, de- I definitely think they need help at that position. As far as tight end, you know, it was not an ideal 16-game sample size with, uh, with Jared Cook, but I think you saw how different their offense is when they've got an athletic pass-catching tight end uh, who is different than Richard Rodgers. I still think Richard Rodgers has a niche in this offense, um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how Martellus Bennett assimilates to it. Um, but – you know, and accuse me of being a homer if you'd like, um, but I I have always liked Lance Kendrick. Uh, I think he's played with some bad teams and bad quarterbacks while he's with the Rams. Um, does that sound familiar? Because it should, because that's exactly what Jared Cook's M.O. was when he got here. Um, but on top of that, um, I just think, you know, a kid that's that, as excited as he is to be back home and has been somewhat underutilized during his time with the Rams, I think he's going to turn out to be a steal. Uh, I really do. And I'm eager to see what he does in this offense because when you have one, let alone two, athletic tight ends, Mike McCarthy, um, and I know my buddy Rob Domofsky used this quote the other day, and then I used it as well, 
in another story, um, you know, at the NFL meetings a year ago, McCarthy was like in awe of what the Patriots had done to pair Martellus Bennett with Gronk. And I think he's got some real designs on using Bennett and Kendricks and, and maybe even if, 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 you know, if Richard Rodgers can do a little bit more athletically than he has, because he has slimmed down even some more from what I understand, I think Mike McCarthy's really excited because he knows how different his offense is when he's got an athletic tight end. He knows what your Michael Finley was capable of doing in this offense. My gosh, he built his 2010 offense around highlighting Finley, and then Finley obviously suffers the injury, and they went through a transition period before they went on their Super Bowl run. So I think it'll be great to see what they do with the tight ends. And they, it's a good thing they've got a lot of good tight ends and a lot of good wide receivers because right now they ain't got much of running back, so I don't know how much they're going to run the football. You know, Jason, I want to talk to you about running back in a second, but I think the NFL has evolved into a league where you can't have enough cornerbacks. The, uh, the Packers showed that last year with Shields getting hurt and some of the guys like Rollins just not taking the next step. So they go back out. They have to re-sign House. They're probably regretting letting Hayward go. Do you see them adding a cornerback before the draft yet, or is it just going to be a position they're going to try to draft heavy on? You know, there are some relatively inexpensive uh, corners still on the market. So they could if they wanted to, and they've got – Still, you know, almost twenty-five million in cap room, so they certainly could. I, I don't know. I mean, it, I, again, I think if there's a guy that was cut by his previous team, um, so he won't count against their um, their compensatory pick equation. I think that's. I think it's possible. I wouldn't say that it's likely. And so we'll see what they end up doing. But um, I think they should because you know you're putting a lot of faith in two guys that were whether it was because of injury or inconsistency in their play were disappointing. I mean, I, I don't – I know how much they want Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins to be good, but even when they were healthy or healthy enough to play, they weren't good enough. And, and so they were you – know, the fact that Ladarius Gunther, who I do really like, um, was able to be their best corner is an incredible indictment considering he's from the same draft class as your first round and second round picks that year, and he was an undrafted free agent. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, speaking about running back, every time I jump on social media, I see a, a fake news story saying the Packers have either signed Peterson or Jamal Charles. Do you see any of that likely? And is it going to be uh, Christine Michael and uh, Ty Montgomery as your, your one-two punch in the backfield if, if they don't do something? Yeah. 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 I mean, I – um, ben Gessling had a really interesting stat in a story recently on, on ESPN.com um, where he uh, listed the production that Peterson has had from the quarterback under center versus the quarterback in the shotgun. And he's only carried, like in his career, he's carried like 2,500 times plus with the quarterback under center and 115 times with the quarterback in shotgun. And he, he averages almost five yards a carry with the quarterback under center on those 2,500-plus carries, and he averages 4.01 yards a carry, which is obviously still four yards, but with the quarterback in shotgun. And then he's only carried nine times for 10 yards with the quarterback out of the pistol. 
I mean, hmm. Rodgers loves the pistol and the shotgun. So add add that to the fact that he's not very good in pass protection, and I just don't understand all that stuff and the fact that he's 32 and the fact that right. even with if you're looking at their bad uh, offensive line from last year, that he did not he was not productive when he did play last year, and he's coming off of a significant injury, and he beat his four year old to the yeah, level that right. he had to go to the hospital. I just I don't understand why you would want to go there. Like, if 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 you really want to take on somebody that you're going to have to deal with negative PR, I would almost think you would rather draft Joe Mixon in the middle of the of the draft. And and deal with that, which I, I'm not advocating for that either. I, I wouldn't do that either. Right. I think you can get running backs without baggage that can are serviceable enough. You pair them with Ty Montgomery, who I just don't believe you want carrying 230 times next season. Um, I, I think you can do that. I don't think you need Adrian Peterson, and I don't think you need Joe Mixon on your team. Yeah, any other one, I agree with you on both points. And Jamal Charles is an injury just waiting to happen. So if you're going to spend the money – Spend it on some other needs on defense, I would think anyway. So, um, but I, I don't know. I just it's just crazy. Every time I click on something, like really, that Adrian Peterson signed again for the seventh day in a row from some other fake news site. It's just it's insanity. Yeah, we gotta we gotta figure out who you're following on Facebook and Twitter there, bud. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, you talk about spending money. I mean, the Lions have spent money on the offensive line when it comes to T.J. Lang, former Packer, and then also former Wisconsin walk-on captain and Baltimore Raven Rick Wagner. And you know, with the Packers, they let J.C. Treader go to the Browns, who also revamped with their offensive line uh, to help out Joe Thomas and, and, and that organization. But, you know, with the Packers, like, you know, you let Treader and you let Lang go uh, – what are the solutions there, uh, Jason? In your mind, like, what do you think Ted's looking at? Or is he looking at the draft for like possibly like if he's still available, like a Forest Lamp out of Western Kentucky, or you know, there's been a lot talked about maybe the offensive line class isn't as great as it as it has been, which is what led to these huge paydays. Where do the Packers go from here on the offensive line? Yeah, I, I mean they've clearly. Um, I, I think of uh, Jack Nicholson in um, in a few good men. All you did was weaken a country today, Caffey. Um, all you did was weaken an offensive line by not paying uh, T.J. Lang, who was willing to come back. Not, I mean, he wasn't going to take uh, $7 million guaranteed instead of $19 million guaranteed. But, and, and we tried to get him to, to give us a number, and he wouldn't. But I would guess that had they guaranteed 13 14 15 um, which again for us three schmoes, uh, it's funny to talk about 13 million versus 15 million. Um, <laughs> but I think I think if he'd have, I think if they'd have paid market value, DJ would still be on their team and would have taken a three-year deal, and it would have made sense for everybody. But we'll see. I mean, maybe Ted will turn out to be right. He's been right in the past about other uh, guards departing. But you know, look, JC Treader was a goner. He was going to get. He's a, he's a starting caliber player. He deserves to be paid that way. Now he has to stay healthy. He's another one, like Nick Perry, though, that you have some apprehension based on his, his injury history. The problem I have with, the, with Lang um, leaving, and I think the criticism that is fair to Levy in their direction, is that 
you know, they did a ballsy thing by cutting Josh Sitton when they did. No question about it. Um, but they had Lane Taylor, who they felt really good about, and that Aaron Rodgers felt good about. And I remember Aaron Rodgers saying, you know, it's bad that it's tough for Josh, but we think Lane can play. And we're not all that worried about plugging him in there. I don't think Aaron Rodgers, if you asked him, gave him some truth serum, uh, which I think is scotch with him, um, and asked him today, I don't think he feels that way about Don Barclay or Kyle Murphy or Lucas Patrick. I mean, I, I think that they're going to have to, they're going to have to draft the guard in the second, third, fourth round who can come in and play right away. Now, one interesting thing, and, and I talked to, about the Coles uh, bargain shopping. Um, they had a guy in for a visit yesterday named Byron Bell, um, who was a 16-game starter two years ago in Tennessee. Came into the league as an undrafted free agent, but uh, missed all of last year with a dislocated ankle that he suffered in OTAs. But was a 16-game starter, started at right tackle, uh, guard, and one game at left tackle in 15. And I don't know, you know, he can't be that expensive. But it, it, there's a guy with starting experience, could come in and be a decent guard for you so you don't have to necessarily draft a guy to play right away to replace tj lang so i don't know if anything will come of that uh but he had a visit yesterday and i'm sure their doctors took a look at his ankle but that that was one of those that it's an under the radar name nobody's talking about bell like they're talking about adrian peterson but he that's a guy that could potentially make a lot of sense for them Jason, I appreciate you uh, taking some time out. You seriously are the hardest working guy in the business and one of the most genuine. And we, we can't wait six more years to talk again. We've got to do this again sooner. <laughs> well, if you're going to say that much nice stuff about me, I'm going to have to push it back a little farther because I, be, <laughs> I can't have you telling people what a nice guy and hard worker I am. So, no, this was great. I would love to do it again. You guys have my number, and there's no excuse not to call me. We will make that happen, I promise you, Jason. Thank you so much. Jason Wilde from ESPN Wisconsin, Wilde and Tosh, 9 to 11 Central Standard Time on ESPN Wisconsin. You'll see him in the Wisconsin State Journal. And, guys, we're going to take a quick break, wrap it up with some Sweet 16 picks here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. As always, great talking with Jason Wilde from ESPN Wisconsin. If you guys aren't following him, it's Jason J. Wilde on Twitter. Honestly, uh, great talking with him, and, and he's been wonderful to spend some time talking some Packers. We haven't had a chance to talk with that yet. Scotty, as you and I both have to dip out of here uh, before the Sweet 16 starts, give me your revised Final Four. Well, my revised Final Four is this. I lost uh, Louisville, and I lost Villanova last week. So uh, now I'm going to go with Wisconsin. What the heck? Wisconsin, Arizona. Uh, Kansas and UCLA are my revised Final Four. UCLA still winning it all. Right now, I will go. I'm going to go Kansas. I'm going Arizona, out of the Midwest and West, respectively. I'm going North Carolina, out of the South and out of the East. I'm going to go Wisconsin uh, with Duke losing, and Duke was my Final Four to the finals. Uh, I had them losing to Kansas. Uh, with the way Wisconsin matches up against Florida, uh, which we discussed earlier. And just South Carolina and Baylor, I think these games could favor Wisconsin. South Carolina and Baylor, I'm really intrigued to see who wins out there. But based off 
of our conversations there. I will. I'm going Wisconsin uh, to play in Phoenix, and it should be quite the interesting talk is coming up uh you know phoenix arizona glendale arizona university of phoenix stadium next weekend if wisconsin can get past florida tomorrow and we'll see where the chips fall so uh, on that note as scotty and i both have to jet out of here with our respective day careers make sure you guys follow us on twitter at kilbasa kings wi at b5q at scott wisnusk 2 and at jcoco B5Q, and we'll talk to you guys early next week. We'll discuss more uh, if the Badgers go to the Final Four, a Final Four preview. We'll get a guest on talking that. We'll also break down uh, everything else in free agency. We'll talk some baseball, some basketball, and all likelihood for the NBA with the Bucks as a number six seed currently as we record. So we'll break that down. Guys, thanks again for joining us. This has been the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza brought to you by Bucky's Fifth quarter.